substance equals spin The propagandas win Stress feeding on my attention My countrymen, they love their fiction Words are now This way with good intentions Welcome to 1 of 200 We're back for 2024 And the atrocities and horror continue I hope everyone's had a good holiday Such as it is We're talking about Gaza today and we've got a very special guest just for that purpose. I'm joined by Hamza Ali Shah from the UK. How are you doing? I've already asked you that and we both had a laugh. Yeah, not too bad. As as you said, as, as good as one can be considering um, the elephant in the room, shall we say. But overall, good to be here. Pleasure to be on. Thank you so much for joining us. For people from our audience who might not follow progressive media in, in the UK, do you want to give us a quick introduction? Where you come from? Uh, what work you do? Uh, so basically a journalist slash writer, and which means I don't write for mainstream outlets on, on Palestine effectively. And that's obviously by choice. And simply because if I did pitch to them, they wouldn't accept it. So I write for numerous outlets from Navarro Media to Tribune, um, Declassified, which for days before. And they're all really good in terms of we've got a good ecosystem of like left-wing media in the UK, which is what I like to call um, unconditional support with, with the editors. You know, people are unambiguously um, stand in solidarity with Palestinians and are willing to, you know, commission and publish. And I'm grateful for that. And so, yeah, it's been a bit of a crazy three months, a lot of work and more more than we would have thought, considering we'd, we we didn't think like, I've spoken to so many journalists and other, you know, editors and people working within the kind of this left-wing ecosystem. Um, and it's not even, to be fair, it's not even left-wing, it's just people with a moral conscience, I guess. It's just people who see what's happening in Gaza, you know, want it, want to inform properly or want to kind of empathise and, and, and resonate with other people. And they've said it's the mainstream media's role has been one which is to either at best exaggerate Israel's claims or to parrot them directly and effectively legitimise their violence, or at worst, just to, you know, just go with the half-truths, the lies. So there is, it's been, it's been an interesting one in terms of a lesson about the media. Um, but yeah, like I said, we're, there's a good, there's a good number of people, whether it's editors, whether it's journalists, writers, columnists in the UK, um, who are, I guess, we could argue on the right side of history. Yeah, we've, um, we've been covering it here in New Zealand. And obviously, uh, for any of our listeners, uh, you'll have tuned into that. Uh, and the lack of coverage in New Zealand media um, alongside some just very clear uh, propagandists who are being regularly platformed. Alongside that, I guess our politicians have been pretty bad uh, as well, especially from the two major parties. It's taken a lot of pressure to get anything out of them. I think the as far as the government goes, we've got a new right-wing government as of late last year. And they have made a statement uh, passed in the House to work towards a ceasefire, I think, is the incredibly weak language we we have landed on so far. Uh, and this is, you know, despite huge public support for an immediate ceasefire uh, in Gaza. How have you found that relationship between the media and politics? Because my sense is that both your major parties there are even worse on this than the media has been. Yeah, there's been a... There's been a consensus from the political class, two major parties in Britain, which is usually very unlikely. You know, you have whether it's when, when there's debates, whether, it, whether it's on, you know, welfare, it could be NHS, you know, our National Health Service. It could be um, on economic matters. Generally, there's a, you know, you'd have disagreements. But there's in this instance, it's been, you know, pretty much ac across the board. Everyone's in agreement, which is, you know, in and of itself is just bizarre. I mean, this is a complete dereliction of duty. There should be an agreement about how wrong and how disastrous and catastrophic what we're witnessing in Gaza, the scenes, what, whereas actually they're in agreement that, no, this can't stop. And we've had various sentiments from, you know, first we had the Prime Minister, which is Sunak, say, you know, we want, we're cheering, effectively we're cheering Israel on. We want Israel to win. Uh, we're on your side, he said. And if, I think he used the word uh, unqualified or unconditional support. And then you have other members of, you know, the Labour Party leader, K. Starmer, who was on live radio, effectively saying that um, this was once the, the defence minister announced the siege, the complete siege on Gaza you know, on top of the already 17-year siege. And basically when they said they're going to withhold all water, electricity, fuel, food, anything going into Gaza, and case Starmer was asked, is this acceptable? Do they have the right to do this? Does Israel have the right? And he effectively said yes. And when his other, again, prog supposedly progressive senior ministers were asked, do, does Israel have this right? They kind of, they, they again, equivocated, they didn't offer anything. When they were asked about what, you know, is the forceful displacement of Palestinians, which was, you know, quite early on, which is still happening, obviously, um, the forceful evacuation and the evacuation orders, which are actually a war crime um, under international law. When 
other ministers were asked about that. Again, they equivocated. They couldn't give a concrete position. And that's kind of a metaphor for what we're seeing in Britain. It's anytime any question is asked, which kind of doesn't even condemn Israel, is just, you know, takes a position which any decent human being with a moral compass would take. Um, there's kind of equivocation. There's, you know, very blurred blurred lines and, and no, you know, forthright condemnation of Israel or, or any attempt to call what we're witnessing um, for what it is, which is, you know, ethnic cleansing, genocide, mass murder. You know, you, you can call it whatever you like. They, they will all fit. And so, like I said, the, the politicians have been in complete agreement. When when we had a vote for a ceasefire, I think only 125 uh, voted for it. We have 600 or so sitting MPs and 125 voted for a ceasefire, most of which were from the uh, Scottish National Party, who I think have about a 50 50 plus so that that tells you everything it's the political class which is has abandoned any aspect of you know humanity empathy and like i said any moral clarity or even of representation i think at this point because the numbers must be better in the uk for actual support for a ceasefire as well i'd imagine yeah yeah we've had throughout there's been consistent support one of the striking ones was actually the conservative party again extremely right wing at the minute characteristically and they are, you know, there was, I think, around 60% support for, for a ceasefire among the Conservative grassroots members. So that tells you in and of itself, you know, that's that's quite a hefty figure of people who are Conservative parties historically, when it comes to foreign policy, is kind of a, a mirror of the Republican Party in, in the US. So, you know, that that level of support for a ceasefire, and I think across the board, um, it, it fluctuates between 60 and 70% across a national level, um, which is, again, that's, that's, fa- that's fairly high for, you know, an average an average uh, percentage. But that hasn't been represented. When we had, we've had numerous marches, we had half a million one week, we had 750,000, then we went up to a million um, in consecutive weeks marching the streets of London, and they were called hate crimes by the Home Secretary, who is no longer the Home Secretary, actually, <laughs> Whoops. Um, Swella Braverman. And, you know, there was just, there was whole conversations on the radio. I mean, b- remember driving once. This is, I think, the, the week, the week, the run up to the million, the million man march, million, uh, one million march, where I think the week before we had, I think, 500,000, so half a million, which is still, you know, substantial. And all the debate was, oh, you know, there were some placards which suggested, you know, this, the, you know, hatred of Jews. And so this was lumped into one category that every single person marching was actually marching from the, you know, when they say from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Allegedly, they're calling for the extermination of Jews. And this was a whole talking point on on national radio, across national media for, for, for a good period. It still is, it still pops protest. up. Yeah, exactly. And rather than actually saying, actually, look, this is multiple people from different backgrounds, from different areas, different ethnicities, different political stripes as well. People are, you know, uniting in this call for a ceasefire to stop, you know, the mass slaughter of Palestinians. And the best our politicians and media can do is smear this protest, as you know, it's, it's, it's you know, it's illegit- illegitimate. It's, you know, it's just more people, you know, hate speeches, they were, uh, hate marches, sorry, they were called, you know, just a bunch of aggressive people, uh, radicals, nothing, nothing. But people are just calling literally for, to stop the mass murder of Palestinians and to stop this ethnic cleansing that we're seeing. But that, again, that's, that is, that captures how the media and the politicians have played this throughout. They've just been, you know, it's been un- unconditional support for Israel and unconditional criticism of anything that could, that that calls for the liberation of Palestinians or calls for an end to what we're seeing. It's been, you know, I'm not a, a big fan of, of uh, media organisations in general over the last, like, many decades, you know, alongside neoliberalism and, like, just resource being ripped out of them, the, the crunch that many journalists and reporters face. There's just been a steady decay of, I guess, broadly journalistic integrity. But these last, what, 12, 13 weeks, and and alongside the kind of political ecosystem, it seems completely unhinged from reality at this point. To, like, I was surprised. You know, I... I, I come at this like very antagonistically and i am still like surprised with with regularity sometimes by a piece of framing or something they choose to let through uh as, as an opinion piece and, and you know some of the things that you you mentioned there like the way that some of the the huge marches were smeared you know completely and evidentially incorrect but it just hasn't seemed to matter has that seemed as sudden a shift in the uk or you know we, we talk here we we don't have murdoch here um as the lucky you <laughs> uh, i mean this is like the justification for like oh we can't be that bad right but we are like it's it's like the get out of jail free card for for people working in media but having murdoch there were you kind of more prepared for it to to be like this were you already more desensitized to just how bad media coverage could get or was did you was it also a significant shift there that 
you're aware of? It's quite bad because we expected it to be, again, very biased, very basically everything that journalism shouldn't be. So it was it wasn't it, it, there wasn't much impartiality. There wasn't much, you know, holding power to account. There wasn't much, you know, um, this this real um, kind of being wedded to objectivity and accuracy and fact checking. And we we've always seen that um, when it comes to Israel and and whatever happens, um, whether it's you know it's, it could be home demolition, it could be the bombardment of Gaza, whatever it might be, any of Israel's atrocities, of its you know its war crimes, which is a long endless list, um, is 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 reported in a very you know the passive voice always comes out. You know Israelis are killed, Palestinians die, stuff like that. We've been we've grown accustomed to that, and then I think what's what was important to see was last year, well. 2022 now so just over a year ago with the invasion of ukraine uh russia's invasion of ukraine and how the language suddenly there was you know they could call an occupation for an occupation they could call ethnic cleansing and mass displacement and you know barbaric campaigns of mass slaughter they could they could use that language but maybe that i think that crystallized just how 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 much of this is a choice for the media you know and and i think like like i alluded to one particular story was the beheaded babies which is if the front pages were unanimous you know, they were in complete agreement. They said, you know, some of the headlines, um, they said, you know, uh, babies' throats were were slit, you know, babies were decapitated, etc. And this all started from an Israeli claim, an Israeli media outlet, and parroted by kind of IDF spokespeople. But none of it was confirmed. And I understand that sometimes you do have to run with stories and, you know, you have... But this, went, this was on the front page of all media, of all newspapers, pretty much uh, all British newspapers. Without even the kind of the caveat that this is these are unverified, they just went with it. It was a story that could, you know, effectively legitimise Israel's response, its revenge operation, which we're seeing now, and it was a way to kind of paint Hamas and the Palestinians as one, as you know, look, whatever happens next has been coming, or they they deserve this. And so that was staggering because surely everybody always tells you this, you know, that there's that famous quote from the journalism professor: if somebody tells you, if one person tells you it's raining and one person tells you it's dry, it's not your job to quote them both. You go out and you look out the window. And you make a decision for yourself. And Sky, actually, Sky News, ironically, former Murdoch, obviously no longer owned by Murdoch, on the press preview the night before those papers, so on the 10th of October, when they were covering all these newspapers and, you know, with, with the guests, they actually said, our correspondent on the ground can't corroborate these claims. We've asked IGF three times. They haven't said anything. Now, that was the only kind of major outlet to even give that caveat, just to say, by the way, these are the, this is the main headline, but it's unconfirmed just yet. None of them did that. It was it just completely, you know, they took it as fact. They took a, a claim on allegation which was rooted or was born in kind of uh, Israeli political and military and media circles and converted into established fact. And when days later, you know, that was proven not to be true, there was no kind of, there wasn't even an article to suggest, OK, you know, this is a correction or not even to even an article dedicated to, you know, actually Biden walked back on his claim actually there's still no investigation etc there was none of that and then when in that period when obviously palestinians were being murdered in mass you know they were being slaughtered at you know at, by that point even a week later i think more than 2000 palestinians had been murdered but there was no front page coverage there was no mass slaughter mass murder that like a type of language suddenly it didn't matter to inform the public about what these horrific acts were and so that in of itself is like it's just a uh, you just look and you think what what type of media do we have? This is this isn't these are propagandists. They're not they're not journalists. These are people that are they're sycophants. They're not people that are you know committed to holding power to account. And I think that for a lot of people, there's been a real shift. And as I said, a shift from you know knowing it was terrible to now thinking right there is no going back. This is this is a media ecosystem that is not determined to do anything except it's not determined to you know uphold the truth or tell the truth rather. It's just committed to. I guess keeping the status quo, whatever that looks like. Yeah, or you know, whatever the future status quo is at this point, because it's just so out the gate. Like I, you know, it's horrible to think back. But you know, that first two thousand passed, we're like, okay, well, someone's going to say something, and we're at twenty two thousand now. You know, and that hasn't changed. You know, like well, no, that's that's probably slightly unfair. Something that has also. Uh, been happening not in New Zealand because we're not covering it here but you know and in places where I'd maybe expect it less and and maybe this speaks to the way that there are uh you know alternative media ecosystems where people do actually have a, a moral code but you have seen people in, in more established outlets who are able to push back with with quite a lot of weight on on some of the claims being made but to also make claims about uh, the need for a ceasefire um, or the dehumanization of Palestinians. And as well as that, a number of 
uh, I guess, mainstream contributors. Um, and I hate to bring them up. No, is that unfair? I don't know. But um, Owen Jones has has had a character arc over the course of this, for example, where he's become very much more forthright about actively antagonizing politicians and and media outlets, despite being a mainstream contributor. Um, and I, you know, I haven't always had a lot of respect for him because I think he he rides that line between more liberal and and left wing. Um, coverage but he was just releasing something today saying that they should expel the Israeli ambassador for complicity uh, in genocide like there's been like is a fragmentation or like a big shift in several pockets um, of media is that something that is actually happening or is that just something I'm seeing from afar I'd actually argue Owen Jones is the is the exception at the minute in terms of mainstream mainstream journalists in terms of willing to put his head above the parapet and the thing is there's there's He's obviously not the only person on the left who is at a mainstream uh, newspaper or, you know, TV station. But if somebody said to me now, which mainstream journalist do you think could come out of this and say, do you know what? I, I did everything I could. The only one in Britain would be Owen Jones. And oh, wow. The fact that, yeah, and the fact that there are so many commentators, people are still, you know, churning out articles for The Guardian, for The Independent, The New Statesman, for example, people who are, you know, on BBC, on ITV. He's the only one which 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 I think can now say, do you know what? He's regularly publishing videos. He's not... He, as soon as it became clear he, he was willing to use, you know, so-called emotive language, genocide, ethnic cleansing, mass slaughter, etc. He was one of the few that platformed Palestinians at the time. And when you think, again, when you think about that, that, that should be the norm. That should be what any journalist should do. But the fact that, you know, there are, like I said, it's on the spot. That's the only person I can think of and say, do you know what? Fair play. Like you you actually did what journalists should do, which is to go against the tide, to to inform and to, to, to be fearless effectively in, in what you report. Whereas actually we don't see that anywhere else now. And that's, like I said, that is damning. And even mainstream, not just in the UK, but mainstream newspapers and kind of outlets, even in the US, for example, they think we have short memories. They think that, you know, what they reported a few months ago, now they can change tack. I think the Washington Post comes to mind. If you remember the the um, hospital that was bombed, I think it was Al Ahli Hospital. Um, which one? On. Which hospital? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, um, Al Shifa, I think, was the one. Where yeah, that we got was into the, like. The, which one was it really? Yes, uh, was an explosion. Yeah. Did it come from? Yeah. yeah, and they actually at the time they said, you know, they actually said, I've got, I've got it here. It said the analysis of that and other videos, in in addition to expert review, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, provide circumstantial evidence that could bolster the contention by Israel and the US government that a stray rocket launched by a Palestinian armed group was responsible for the October 17th explosion. Fast forward to like, this is just, a few, just, just before the new year, so in December, and then they've got this new groundbreaking investigation by the Washington Post showcasing, you know, how great their journalists and their reporters are. And it says, oh, you know, satellite imagery reviewed by the Post showed how heavy strikes around Gaza's hospitals destroyed entire neighbourhoods etc etc making it impossible for hospitals to function and that was like if you open the washington post on that day i can't remember which day it was um sometime in late december it was everywhere in other words it was it dominated the front page in other words they want people to, to they want to send the message you know self-righteousness that you know we are fearless in our messaging but actually imagine if you just listened to palestinians on october 17th when there were claims just like there are israeli claims which numerous media outlets publish you know as the unvarnished truth you know this is 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 an Israeli claim or an Israeli spokesperson or official's claim becomes fact. That doesn't exist for the Palestinians. So when when the and the New York Times had a similar one where they talked about the, the oh you know they said uh, groundbreaking report um, new evidence shows Israel was, is targeting civilians where they told them to flee. Well well yeah that's what they've been doing for you know the past three months they've issued evacuation orders and bombed you know told people from the from the north to go to the south or from the north to go to the central aspects or central areas of Gaza and then later to the south and each time bombed the areas in which they've told people to evacuate to obviously evacuation orders in and of itself they are a war crime and yet New York Times same thing they published and they said oh you know new evidence has emerged and you know we took all of this um you know our special reporters and our special team who put this together and we we found out that they are actually, can you believe it, Israel was bombing innocent civilians indiscriminately? But again, that's what Palestinians have been saying, not just since October the 7th. They've been saying it for 75 years. They've been saying Israel's bombardment or Israel's a 
operations or Israel's military force has always been brutal, uncompromising and indiscriminate. But it has to take the New York Times yeah. to, to say that. It has to take their... T- that, heaven forbid you listen to a Palestinian when they when they say that and what they have been saying for so long. Yeah, I think that's been one of the clearest indicators is whenever something is pushes back on Israeli claims, it needs to be an entire team of experts. And I, like, off the top of my head, I can't really think of any Palestinian voices in mainstream Western media at the moment i just and and, you know there there are plenty of palestinians out there i think that's it's it's absurd but and and it goes beyond just people like me and some of my co-hosts on the podcast who are just media freaks right so i'm just following the stuff all the time and so you very quickly see the disjunct between the coverage and what's actually happening but the incidences of social media showing what's happening on the ground by like Palestinian journalists in Gaza has also been part of that huge wake-up call for mainstream media audiences because they can just see this is everywhere. You know, it's on. It's not just on TikTok. You know, it's you know, it's not just um, being being fueled by by China and Russia or, or whatever. It's disinformation. It's all over Twitter and Facebook and Instagram as well. People are are hearing directly from Palestinians, just not through the channels they'd usually hear from people on international events. Yeah, and it's one. I think it was a claim. Um, I think CNN or one of the major US broadcasters where they said, "Oh, you know that the thing is at the moment we can't really get, our journalists can't get into Gaza, so you know we're having it's harder for us to report, etc." But it's like everybody can has been literally has as Instagram and Twitter, and you can see these Palestinians who are risking their lives every day, whether it's the ones for Al Jazeera or even the independent ones like Martez, for example, on on Instagram. Mm. So people who, you know, we're all you know technologically literate these days everybody knows that martez is posting regularly and Bissan and all the rest of them on instagram on twitter and and everywhere else but again it's that thing it's it's almost a dehumanizing a dehumanizing approach which is like you know if only if the the american or the western journalists can corroborate it then it must be true and as i said this doesn't exist when it's the other side it's just anything that is pushed by the idf or the israeli government or israeli ministers officials that's taken as a fact i mean we it's true there haven't been any journalists within within Gaza, or very few have been allowed to enter. Um, and when they do, they enter, you know, the, the, the IDF reviews their footage and only X, a certain amount can be published, which in and of itself should be raising alarm bells. But even then, we don't need those because there are Palestinians on the ground recording. Every Palestinian nowadays is practically a journalist. I mean, people are losing their their children and, you know, they're mourning their children or they're burying their children and, it, and it, there's a camera in their face because otherwise nobody would believe us. That's literally how bad it is. So everybody has become a journalist. In a sense, there is, in every clip, there's, you know, the first thought is, okay, house has come down. We do need to record this. We need to film this. We need to get this out there because otherwise nobody's going to believe. They're just going to think this is, again, always Israel's right to self-defense. You have to physically see these, you know, these infants, these toddlers under the rubble or these mothers grieving their, 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 the other only survivors in a family of of, of 50 or entire neighborhoods being brought down, leveled, you know, by the Israeli forces. And so, like, like I said, it's not this idea that, you know, these other saviors, these 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 Western journalists, they are going to come in and expose what's really happening. When actually it's there for everyone to see, and it's again, it's a choice for them not to not to show that. that it, all it takes is a, a clip from Twitter, from Instagram. They are everywhere. Every day there's a new clip of some atrocity, some horror that Israel has has um, inflicted on the Palestinians in Gaza, and they just choose not to show it. They they wait until they can get their own access, um, which is yeah, like I said, it's, it is. It is an approach characterized by dehumanization and almost a, a hierarchy of human life and how important the input of a Palestinian is to these people. One of the really disgusting things that got shopped around even in New Zealand was, and you know, it's been a thing for a while, but this concept of Pallywood, which is just fucking insane. But you really, you just have to assume that a whole bunch of the decision makers across mainstream media have just internalized that, which as you say, is just like, pure dehumanization like these are the bad guys so we can't trust anything that they say because it might just be propaganda and it, it's this horrible interaction with with how disinformation has been peddled to us right bad bad guys make disinformation so you can't trust it uh, but good guys tell you the news it's yeah and yeah they did this and it, and is the worst thing is there's so many ways in which they do it but the other one is very early on, they started doing the Hamas-led health ministry. In other words, because ev- everybody knows this is, it's been, you know, it's everywhere. This is a bit so-called a campaign against Hamas. It's obviously not. It's a campaign of ethnic cleansing. But you know, they, it very, the, the, the kind of the, the, whenever the death toll would be published, or you know, the Palestinian health ministry would, you know, uh, 
released some new new figures and you know what amount of people are injured that have been killed etc and all the news would have it you know that the headline would be oh in the hamas led health ministry in other words that is the enemy and it's they are in control of us in other words it puts that seed of doubt oh maybe they're fabricated you know these evil people they can't be trusted yeah. and so it minimizes this the scale of the the trusters that we're seeing and so there's so many aspects in which what even when they do offer you that that little bit where they do actually report on what's happening they have to cloak it with some sort of doubt yeah. or they have to you know convey it in a way that's still leave you with a doubt in other words it doesn't doesn't really paint israel too much of a negative light or tries not to condemn them too much for what they're doing to almost blame the palestinians for for what's happening and i guess it's a common feature across across newsrooms and and, and newspapers we've got um when it is covered here uh at least half the time it's still called israel hamas war and you just man that that shit matters like you're choosing to do that it's it's disgusting one of the more uh unexpected things i i guess to happen during this this whole thing around media is when the initial you know heavy air quotes humanitarian pause uh was going through and it came out that biden's cabinet was worried about that because it might allow journalists to get on the ground in northern gaza and i think it like among a litany of wake-up calls i think that was yet another like why are you worried about that like what <laughs> what what are you trying to hide yeah and it's and that's that i think that's characterized the u.s approach in general i mean when we, we discussed earlier the, the u.n security council when they deliberated and discussed for three days what language can we approach this resolution and you know what how can we frame this in a way that the so the americans can accept it and all they were asking for was a ceasefire in other words that's why why should we need a resolution anyway to vote on something that's a war crime or something that's against international humanitarian law that doesn't make sense in of itself that you don't need to vote on whether that's that whether to help those people who are the victims of war crimes but that's that's the stage that we're at and like us like i said it's the american just the other day for example the um john kirby i think is the u.s uh spokesperson when he said it's this this new report this new case that's been filed south africa to the international criminal the international court of justice sorry and he said oh it's meritless it doesn't have anything it's just you know it's probably exaggerated he hasn't read it we know he hasn't read it yeah i mean very yeah, clearly yeah and and he's you know it's just that's that's what the u.s does it's you know it's the name of the game they can protect israel they shield from any accountability and it's people just believe it anyway because you know who are the victims well it's just those pesky palestinians of gaza it's just hamas again and i mean that's it there will be a hearing as, as we know, next week. And many people, whatever happens in the end, whether it's now, whether it's in 10, 15 years' time, the, the likes of Joe Biden, Anthony Blinken, Lloyd Austin, all of these people, they, they are war criminals. They enabled and facilitated this this horrific campaign of mass slaughter. And they think they're going to get away with it. I hope they don't. Um, but again, like I said, it's unfortunate. This is what we've seen for so long now. This is, this is not the first instance. It's probably the, the worst instance in terms of the sheer numbers on the ground and the kind of the way people are just looking the other way. But this unconditional support for Israel, particularly from the US, who again, last week, I think they bypassed Congress again, didn't they? Yes, they to did. Arm, 155 um, to million. arm Israel. Yeah, there you go. And then they'll say, oh, you know, it's all part of self-defense. And, and and then what they'll say, I but, you know, we're taking the real measures here to ensure that Israel is, you know, is, is protecting civilian and not harming civilian life. Yeah, by, you know, providing them with even more arms. That's exactly how you protect civilians. Yeah. It was this really, I don't think the, the term, like calling stuff dystopian just doesn't even cut it anymore. But Blinken did a post about the number of journalists that have been killed this uh, this year in 2023. Um, and how was the deadliest year for journalists and the same day, like hours later, bypass Congress to send more arms to Israel. You know, where more journalists have been killed than anywhere, like combined, than anywhere else in the last many years. I, I, I can't remember the exact uh, number of years, but it's, yeah, just completely, like like you say, it's 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 been ongoing, but this is the worst it has been, uh, just on so many different metrics at this point. As to the, I guess, another aside on how the U.S. is, is shielding uh, Israel from from a lot of this stuff. There have just been so many absurd moments where it's happening just live on the international stage. Like there's, there's one a couple of weeks back, and it was Lloyd Austin and uh, Geoff Gallant, the, the defense minister, and a reporter asks, like, directs at Gallant, is your strategy working? Is it going to work? And he fucking freezes at the podium 
and immediately just looks at Lloyd Austin, like, and like, oh, we know what's happening here. And and Lloyd Austin's like, oh, do you want me to take this one first? Or something? <laughs> <laughs> just like, and that, that, yeah, that interaction does. of itself is, I mean, that's 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 representative of what what actually happens on the on the world stage. In other words, Israel does something, gets questioned about it, or you know, faces some level of scrutiny. And the US interjects and says, don't worry about it. Like, I, I will take over from here. We'll ensure it doesn't go anywhere. And like I said, it's it's so predictable. And yet each time we see it unfold, we're like, you're watching with horror because you, you think, and even more than horror, it's it's so shameless. It's, you know, these, it's a complete dereliction of duty, but we've passed expectations for these, for, for the likes of Biden and, and the US establishment rather. And they just continue to do it because, and they know what they're doing, but it just doesn't matter anymore. No. And... Yeah, I guess one of my bigger worries is people like people are seeing this, people are out marching. What's the what's the way forward here, right? Like the institutions that are meant to safeguard against this stuff are complicit. You know, there there are there are growing ecosystems. So you've got a lot better in the UK than than we have here, with a range of outlets there that are willing to actually speak truth to power. But your political landscape is far more tied up uh, than ours in a number of ways. And you're starting to see people peel off to conspiracy theory. You know, you've got a whole bunch of far right actors and, and white supremacists and Nazis who are cavorting all over social media, um, like grifting on as pro-Palestinian, like hide, hiding the fact, or bad, usually poorly hiding the fact that they're actual Nazis. But for at least for a, a short amount of time, it, it, they are effectively kind of gaining traction. Uh, and it makes some of the like, like it's always garbage that we're getting smeared with anti-Semitism or, or whichever, but it makes that so much more galling that you know there's this other track where they they, they literally are trying to do that. Like there are people turning up to marches who are who are trying to like <laughs> get in and and convert people to Nazism because there's no political. I don't want to use the term politically homeless, uh, but there's no political movement uh, post, I guess, Corbyn uh, for people with a conscience. Yeah, exactly that. And, that. and that's why there is a level of organising now at the grassroots level when people are basically saying, you know, we're not going to vote for the Labour Party. And you get the obvious reply, which is, you know, oh, that. so you're basically happy with the Tories yeah. from the very people <laughs> that for five years ensured that the Tories stayed in power when there was an actual vision under Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think what's good to see is there is a in Britain has been I have been I think to be honest quite surprised the level of you know the diligence and the, the organising and the collective yeah. action that we've seen. I've been I mean, good here seen, as well. Yeah, we've seen even at the global level. I mean, I, I saw a clip of I think it was a mall in Amsterdam, I think in Holland, I think it was um, of where the leaflets were dropped down and there was on the speaker where somebody had basically taken over and announced you know these are war crimes in in your name or this is what's happening in Gaza. A similar thing happened the other day in a science museum in Britain. We're seeing numerous things. I mean, at Starbucks, there's every Starbucks, every day I see a new picture on Twitter of a Starbucks that's been, you know, red red paint or whatever it is that's been used to basically send a message. In, in the Arab world as well, actually, um, from what I hear from people in the likes of Jordan, parts of the Middle East, like Turkey and parts of the Gulf as well, the, the likes of McDonald's, boy, uh, Starbucks, they're all empty, there's no one really in there. So there is... It's kind of everybody has come together and this is it does feel like a watershed moment but in britain there's a particular focus now there are campaigns have been formed grassroots organizations have been formed people are working together to effectively unsee these these politicians to, to send a message because the things that they hold the thing they hold dear or the thing that they crave is the influence and the paycheck and what's yeah. the best way to 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 send them a lesson to teach them a lesson is to snatch the two away because you snatch the paycheck away and you snatch their influence as a as an MP, and one particular example, which just to draw upon is West Streeting. So he's the shadow health secretary. I know who West uh, is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he's, you know, he's been, he's always on the, the airwaves for some reason. And he's, you know, effectively echoed Keir Starmer's, you know, his, 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 his line, which is, you know, to Israel's right to, to defend itself. You know, this is, you know, we not really had taken a, the, the right the right stance, if you like, on, on what we're seeing in Gaza. And he's sitting on a majority of, I think, 5,000 people, which in his position, somebody should advise him, he should have taken a better line. Jess Phillips, for example, is, an, is, is one actually who, if people are familiar with Jess Phillips, was one of the, like, an architect of the campaign against Jeremy Corbyn, or at yeah, least who I... took part in the campaign. And 
immediately, as soon as the ceasefire started to, there was going to be a vote about it, she firstly retweeted the call. So she didn't actually call for it herself. But credit where credit is due, we're not, we're not that cynical. She, re- she did retweet the call for a ceasefire and then actually voted for a ceasefire. And everybody kind of basically looked at the, the figures, the raw figures, and said she's sitting on a majority of 10,000 in Birmingham Yardley, a large Muslim population. But also, again, it's not confined to the Muslims, a population of fairly left-leaning people. And if she can work out that, you know, she needs to take a set stance, West Streeting is, is on half her majority, 5,000. And again, in a, in a predominantly Muslim area, and in an area that tends to vote Labour and is left-leaning. And there is a lot of work going on in, in that particular constituency of Ilford North to basically unseat West Streeting. And the logic is that come election day, when everyone is glued to their TV, I mean, how how symbolic would it be if the news comes out that the person who's supposed to be the next health secretary has been unseated? And when you when they've asked, you know, uh, voters, what is the biggest concern? How could it back? What is what caused this, you know, this political earthquake? And they say, well, the stance that he took on Gaza. That would be quite symbolic. And that we're seeing across is replicated across the board. There's been in the US, there's people who are who are Muslim who are effectively saying to Biden, don't think because Trump is alternative that we're going to yeah. vote for you. Yeah. And sending that message that we are organizing and we are we will put in I don't know how the US system works, but they're basically saying, um, you know, we will basically don't take our vote for granted. We're not guaranteed to vote for the Democratic Party. And so people are agitating and making and you know working together. Because like I said, this is about being on the right side of history and everybody can make the claim here, oh, you're just enabling the Tories, etc. As far as we're concerned, what, what difference does it make? I mean, but as we said, that they're in agreement anyway on 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 Palestine, on Gaza. They they're actually case someone's manifesto is not that ambitious. So it's not <laughs> like it's it's pretty much you're looking at a lighter version of David Cameron in, in terms of policy wise. So this what I mean not what is the rush to get the Tories out if we're going to get an, a lighter version of the Tories? And like I said, a lot of people are actually, it's, it's been good because we've seen sit-ins, we've seen protests. There's another day of action in, in a few days on the on the 6th, Saturday. Then we've got the, the march on the 13th. There are numerous events. There's a, there's a boycott, there's a protest against the boycott bill, which has come back. That's outside of Parliament, I believe, next week or or some point. So there is, Palestine is very much at the heart of yeah. kind of the or forefront of people's intentions, not just in Britain, but around the world. And the politicians, the media, they hate it. They can't stand it because they <laughs> thought, that are oh, you know they'll just forget, and for a lot of people, you simply can't forget. We before we sleep, we check Instagram or we check Twitter, and we see the same videos. We wake up to those videos, and again and again and again. And for most people, like I said, that that doesn't sit right with them. That has an impact, whether it's mentally, whether it's physically, emotionally. And most people want to make a change, and they're not seeing politicians on the same wavelength. And so they're saying, "Well, you know what? Screw you." Yeah, yeah. It's definitely one of those defining historical moments, right? And it seems like. It's building solidarity across organizations and across different issues as well. Like it's it's being tied back to a whole whole bunch of stuff. Like we've been hearing a lot about um, colonialism, um, about the military industrial complex. Like all these these uh, kind of things that progressives talk about a lot, but barely get airtime. But everything's tied back to this. Like it's it's just such a perfect case of all the bad in the world. And I guess for people who Iraq was their defining political moment, they're seeing this happening and going, oh, shit, it's ha-. like this is the same shit. But then you've got this whole new generation of people as well who are, are joining that um, that group. And, yeah, I, I ho- you know, I, I hope this does something. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, try to, I try to be optimistic, but just very clear-eyed about you know who holds power currently how how are people in the uk dealing with kind of the more bad faith actors who are coming at it from the far right who are trying to hijack some of these movements are you seeing that happen much at all or is that predominantly confined to social media i think over here it's it's largely confined to social media but the problem is those voices are arguably even louder on social Mm -hmm. media than they are on television and and all the rest of it Unfortunately, Piers Morgan continues to platform Douglas Murray. Oh, and, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and he's like, so they're, they're, <clears throat> people are still getting an element of airtime. And the thing is, when we, when we talk about, you know, platforming Nazis or, or fascists, if you like, I mean, a lot of the time, the Israeli spokespeople, you know, they, 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 they if the shoe fits, I mean, you look at Zippy Hotovelli, who continues to be on Sky, on BBC, Radio 4. Times Radio, LBC, all the rest of it. And just yesterday, for example, she said, you know, she goes, oh, you know, every second home and every school and every mosque has a Hamas tunnel. And so 
you know, you know, what 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 else can we do except bomb them effectively? She said, and even Ian Dell, who's not even remotely left wing or, or pro Palestinian, kind of pushed back and said, "Well, hold on, are you that's that's a call for the complete destruction of Gaza." And rather than she kind of go tracks back a little bit, think, "Oh, this might not look good," she asked, "Well, what other solution is there?" And but it's so blatant, it's so open, and these are if if you like, there's a there's a a lot of comments have come in the last 24 hours where they've said, well, why should we be worried about other kind of fringe figures, you know, with such adverse sentiments or such toxic sentiments when we have people being platformed on the biggest stages who are ambassadors to the UK, who are state officials, and they're being allowed to say what they want freely. So there's the discourse is definitely as it has been toxic, but luckily there's not been, like I said, we have, we've got official spokespeople and official and officials who are doing the role of these fascists and these these Nazis, but it's mainly, I would say, on social media in terms of the real voices of that want to agitate and cause so division, if you like. Um, yeah. But like I said, the other the other people are doing their job for them anyway, so it's not it's it's not as if we don't have them, so we're not exposed to them. Absolutely, it's been a really it's been odd in New Zealand. Some of the far right people are, have just been doing the pro Israel thing. We have this guy here called Brian Tamaki. He's a he's a preacher. He's like a mega church kind of guy. He's Maori, and they were doing like haka for Israel, um, and getting on Israeli TV and like getting called up to like how the Maori people support Israel and stuff. It's and this guy is like very far right, like he's anti LGBT, like really just across the board, like socially social policy defunct. And the pictures came up with the Israeli ambassador, like shaking his hand and stuff and having a, a good old time. And yeah, like you say, <laughs> they, these people are being platformed anyway. It's really it's frustrating. Depressing. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Because everyone can see this, you know, um, something uh, that else I wanted to, I guess, have a, a short discussion of, because um, we've seen it a bit here. I think we're seeing it sort of quite a lot in the last week, especially in the U.S., um, and want to get a read on it in the UK as well, is this liberal to fascist turn uh, where you've got like big liberal voices who are kind of going all in um, on Israel um, or uh, they're doing the, oh, it's not that bad. You know, they're doing the the equivocating and, and playing that role of undermining uh, people who are trying to show solidarity. Uh, and one of the ones I guess I'm thinking particularly about, uh, and, you know, uh, up in the air, like how, how uh, any of our listeners, you, you might feel about some of these definitions or whatever, but on social media, I think it was Bree Newsom called Biden a fascist. And you had this whole bunch of like big liberal accounts, uh, like journalists and stuff saying, like, just going after her. And trying to equivocate about what fascism was or about the impacts on uh, the Palestinian people um, and the actions of Israel's uh, government. And then alongside that, you have uh, another cohort who also, like, like a politician would, echo that Israel's right to self-defense line, right? Um, or like, or how can we know? Um, how can we really know what's going on? And are some of the main... Uh, users of the do you condemn Hamas uh, line is that I, I imagine it's similar in the UK but is it as notable I would yeah yeah I would say yes um, and it's, it's it's weird because you get like for example Israeli officials with who have basically for three months been so unambiguous in their intent you know where one of the numerous whether it's Netanyahu whether it's the defense minister whether it's, you know, Smotrich, whoever it might be, they've said, you know, burn Gaza. They've said, you know, we need to, we need to um, our focus is on damage and accuracy, all the rest of it, children of light, children of darkness, all the rest of it, um, which is, if if people are interested in reading the, the case uh, that South Africa has filed, page, I think, page 59 to 64, five pages of of intent from, from Israeli officials, which is, is, is bleak. And then you see, so they're basically calling for genocide in unambiguous terms. And then, Somebody will point out, oh, you know, they, this, is, this is a genocide. And someone says, look, let's let's not use that term. But yes, I agree. What's going on is really bad. And, it, and it's like, if you want to have an issue with language, it's the language coming from that side. That is that is a problem. But it's this constant need to sit on the fence, if you like. And or, you know, start with the caveat of, OK, that's fine. But do you them Hamas first? Like, let's let's get on the same page first. And it's, you know, the famous, the famous uh, phrase, if you like, 
was it scratch a liberal and a fascist bleeds um <laughs> you get sent to so many people who are just not, and i think they can't see it with their own eyes but they're just so wedded to this idea that you know you can't deviate too much left or right you must you must be in the middle but what they don't realize is the middle shifts if you if society moves or politicians move to the right your middle is now practically right wing because what's acceptable is now constantly shifting oh yeah there's been a there's been an attempt where people have tried to basically sit on the fence and it actually ends up looking worse off because it, you're just you're being silent in the face of you know mass atrocities um but there's definitely an attempt where they basically say okay this is unacceptable we know it's bad but don't call it a genocide don't call it ethnic cleansing you know there is and it's like, well, it fits the definition. Genocide scholars and experts have used that definition, but you don't want to from use that one, maybe from day one. Exactly, like. exactly. Yeah, and now there's a whole case building about it and, and all the rest of it. And it's been so clear, un- it's been undeniable for so long. But it's this need to censor and to mince your words. For what reason? I don't know what the reason is. Maybe it's so that it's not, you know, a stain on them some years later or a bad reputation or whatever it is. Who knows what the what the reason is? But yeah, there's been the, the way the liberals have dealt with it is like. You know, it's it's as frustrating as ever because it's like just just take a position, just just basically your instinct, which we all see it, just go with that. Like you know, when you see a child being burnt or a, or a building being leveled, you know what your reaction is. Why do you then need to kind of think, oh, okay, now let me let me change this approach slightly? I mean, an example was um, you must have you must have seen this Leila Moran, the MP who had she's a Palestinian MP who had family in Gaza, mm-hmm. and. I think, or distant family or cousins or, or something, they were stuck in a church as it was being encircled by these Israeli forces. And she basically, it was so grim to see, she was basically live tweeting about whether her her, her relatives were going to survive. And, you know, that obviously very emotive, very, you know, very firm and, and, and strong language. And people were getting, you know, agitated at that. They were saying, oh, you know, just, you don't know the full facts yet. You don't know, you know, just, and it was like, well, she's literally got family who are stuck in a church, who are starving, who are cold. They've got tanks outside. They don't know if they're going to survive or not. Thankfully, they did. They did actually escape. And it was like, even that, it did. It it barely even, you know, it barely shifted the dial. It, it, it was as if we were in some alternative universe that this isn't an MP. It's an MP live tweeting. She was on TV making, practically making pleas to politicians. Unprecedented. And, Completely unprecedented. Yeah. And, and, it was, and it was like... And I know we shouldn't we shouldn't have this, this human hierarchy, if you like, of like, oh, but it's an MP. But it was literally an MP with family in 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 you know in in an, in a situation which is you know doesn't bear to think about. And it didn't for many MPs, it just didn't do anything. It, that if that should have been alongside you know thousands of other instances, a flashpoint that should have been a real watershed moment where MPs sit up and say, oh, this is I think this is unacceptable. Like this is one of our own. This is from someone from a political class who's been clearly yeah. affected. But like I said, watching it unfold was. She was, like I said, practically live tweeting, sent, you know, uploading voice notes of her clearly distressed relatives, you know, saying we're, we're hungry, we've got no food, we're cold, et cetera, et cetera. And people just got on with their days. I mean, it, it, I mean, it was it was it was bizarre. And I think that showcasing where we are as a political class. I mean, yeah, I mean, you say no... there shouldn't be a human hierarchy, but there is. Um, yeah. And this was a moment that showed that for some issues, uh, it, that doesn't matter. I think it's going to be a I hope it's going to be a big wake-up call for people in the political class who actually do have values that a large people a number of people in in that class don't have values i mean this has been the, the one of the classic problems of electoral liberal liberalism right is oh we can always work across the aisle like in, in new zealand we say like oh you can go and have a beer with them afterwards or whatever absolutely not like these are your enemies <laughs> like and course, yeah and stuff like that is I mean, she'll she'll know, she'll know now, and and some of the um, other MPs in her cohort will know now that you're you are not on the same side, that you are not part of the same group. There is no in group that that includes you in the political class. But this is the kind of stuff that will take years to actually yeah. show, like a, a shift in in wider political institutions. Yeah, and it's 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 a reminder that you know, with South Africa, for example, apartheid fell once. The politicians got on board after years of action at the grassroots level and at the you know you know c- community and collective action etc. It wasn't that politicians decided no. you know we're going to quit. They were still firmly supporting the apartheid regime, and it was only when it became unsustainable and the fact that they couldn't you couldn't be seen supporting that. I think that's probably what will happen if Israel falls in our lifetime, which is when it when they when the US realizes ah okay this is we, we can no longer hold this stance they'll 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 change and they'll 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 frame it as if they are the pioneers in this change when yeah. actually they 
they are the complete opposite. They're the ones that have enabled and facilitated this, you know, this, this destructive project, of, which is, you know, built on the ethnic cleansing of Palestinians. Yeah, we love in New Zealand. Uh, we love to uh, talk about how we helped fight against apartheid, but we fucking sucked. <laughs> like, I mean, it, it, again, it was it was people on the ground who made helped to make change happen. But we weren't like, you know, a lot of people have been trying to make um, pleas or exhortations. Like, why why can't we uh, take an independent foreign policy stance on Gaza like we did on apartheid? Like, no, we didn't. I like <laughs> not not until there was sufficient public pressure uh, yeah exactly the organizers here have been really good on that and just saying but like some there are some politicians who are coming and standing up and like showing up to marches that's great but real change does not happen because a political leader decides that it's going to happen like great person theory does not exist you have to get out and make change on the ground. And we've seen like some of that change happen. Like this is probably the reason why Parliament even voted uh, for steps towards a ceasefire is because it's just been week after week of of turnout here. Yeah. But man, it's not quick enough, eh? Yeah. It could have done. That's, it's, it's, you can't rely on this so-called rules-based international order which is, <laughs> no you know, they're cursed words the the rules which which rules are, are these exactly you know but yeah like like, like you said it it, will, it might be a long time coming who knows but there will be politicians who will jump at the opportunity to present themselves as these bastards of freedom and liberation and all the rest of it but we will make sure that the record states otherwise and, and yeah. i mean a lot of them are on on vote now eh? like sorry we can actually see uh, the exactly. case of ceasefire. Whoops. Um, exactly. Exactly. The last topic I wanted to kind of wrap up on is this South Africa claim to the International Court of Justice. Uh, it's extensive. Um, you know, I mentioned it before and said John Kirby has just basically dismissed it out of hand. Uh, say it's like he said it's completely unfactual, <laughs> I think, is, is one of the terms that, that he used, which is ludicrous we've seen a few uh groups of nations and, and a couple of specific states backing it now i think malaysia just came out a couple of days ago to back it the council of muslim states uh, has as well which is 57 member states i think yeah. and this goes before the court on the 11th of january is i mean before we get into what we think this will do is dershowitz still kind of his like the, the Israel's lawyer for this <laughs> depends. Are they, are they going to are they going to release the the Epstein list? Or... No, um, it's released and he's on there, and it's horrific. Yeah, yeah, that's um again, it's unsurprising. I mean, it's yeah, we a lot of the time people on a on slightly on a tangent, but when it's like that, you know the the old adage that it's not that you play rugby and therefore you're well built. You're well built and so you play rugby. Dershowitz is not on that list as a coincidence. It's because of the person that he is that he's on that list. Um, but I think they've, from what I read today, there is, I think there's a few other lawyers that they've also reached out to. Okay. One of them is actually surprise, surprise from the UK. But yeah, this this case is will be interesting. And what's what's actually worth pointing out as well is the, IC, the ICJ, which the US is now fundamentally opposed to, or any case being filed to it, they were they strongly supported when Ukraine issued a or filed a case um, in 2022. Many people have, I guess, rightfully pointed out that Ukraine did did, did file a case, and there are still, you know, there's still um, the invasion has continued almost unchallenged or without without you know without any kind of shift since then. Which is, I think, that's a fair observation. That's a fair reading of, of what's happened. Um, but I think there's been such a such pressure at the like at the public level and you know across the world that that, that there probably wasn't for Ukraine. I think Ukraine enjoyed much more support at the elite level if we could use it, the media circles political circles around the world whereas the the palestinian the situation for palestine at the moment there is a lot of grassroots support well the um, us isn't funding palestinians in gaza is it exactly exactly um and they're not bypassing congress in order to to give to give weapons and arms it's the most sophisticated one so i think it'll definitely be interesting in terms of as a i do feel it's an important moment in history because for palestinians there's Lobots, we've always said that there's been a, a gradual shift to so the words ethnic cleansing. You wouldn't you wouldn't see those in, in newspapers and in, in magazines ten years ago, nor the word apartheid, etc. And I think this continues that shift. If this if the if in the end, even if it's just the fact that is it's open and it's clear that Israel has committed a genocide, I think that 
that is that is quite compelling. That is quite meaningful mm-hmm. because it's it's almost as if the cat is finally out of the bag. Obviously, we've been saying it for you know for for, for some time now. Um, but it would be, I guess, it would be one one step closer to the because it's all small steps, isn't it, until yeah. eventual liberation or eventually kind of unwrap. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I think it is it's very important, and it's always interesting to see who, again, we refer back to the rules based order. These democracies, liberal democracies, which believe justice and human rights and upholding, you know, this this supposed co- values that they that that they they pride themselves on. And immediately, you've seen from the you know kind of murmurs from the UK, the US has been brazen in a dismissal. And all the other states will probably dismiss it as well. And and at the time of hearing, I, I suspect we'll see a lot of invoking of you know anti-Semitism, which I think um, some Israeli officials have already done. Yeah, and they did it immediately. And, and, they said, "Yeah, like, I couldn't believe it." Like they've, <laughs> it's they've become mimetic almost. They they said South Africa is working with Hamas. They're, they're collaborating with Hamas. Like yeah, you know they've been like for the last two months. There's just been memes everywhere. Like. Israel calling everything Hamas and then bombing it. Um, I did. Ne- I never thought they'd just call South Africa Hamas. Like, yeah, I mean, nothing yeah, is off the table anymore. It's ludicrous. Like, it's it's beyond the pale at this point. They, they're just they're a parody of themselves. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think you're right. Like, in terms of like bit by bit, even putting this in front of the court is another level of permission given. Yeah, um, yeah, for people to talk about it in that way, I think you know some of the outlets here they basically had to cover it because it because it's unprecedented in many ways, um, and it would have been the first time that many of those outlets published the word genocide about uh, this conflict. And I think it's it's quite it's quite similar to you know obviously a lot of them still deny kind of the apartheid claims. But any time apartheid arises in a conversation, mm-hmm. they have to they have to mention up, you know, Human Rights Watch, Amnesty, Betsalem mm-hmm. have actually got reports. So I think in that vein, it would be quite important in a sense, even if they reluctant mention, it would still be, you know, any time genocide is brought up and in years to come. And, and you know, because this is this is a genocide when when people discuss it, even if it's just a last line, which the New York Times like to do a last line at the, at the bottom of the article, even even that in and of itself would be quite important. The fact that to point out that actually you know the the court has ruled in favor of um has as as unanimously concluded that Israel did commit a genocide in Gaza and i think like you said it's incremental and it it will be quite symbolic because it wouldn't be it's harder to then smear if you like yeah they will still do it of course they will obviously still smear but it's once there's a there's a kind of court hearing a court ruling it will be there will be a, a new precedent will be set um and like you said it that could be the latest in the ongoing um steps that perhaps eventually topple this settler colonial state imagine do you think yeah do you think they will rule it's a genocide i mean as far as the evidence goes like i i can't see them not ruling but i just yeah i will never discount the power that countries like the us and attendant institutions are able to levy against other institutions yeah i, I mean I, I read i've read bits of it um and it's my conclusion as I read the the intent was that the from the Israeli officials yesterday. I thought to myself, there is no way this, they can't rule it in favor of this. There's no way they they can read this and and everything that's presented subsequently and and conclude that this isn't genocide. There is it's, it's just it's beyond it's beyond imagination. Surely not. But obviously, like you said, there is there is the the part of me which recognizes the reality of the so-called political arena and the so-called political system which is you know it's just favors for one another and you know influence and all the rest of it but the case is actually quite compelling and many observers and kind of legal experts said the reason it was so easy is because the evidence is so is so clear it's so un- unavoidable undeniable and that should surely count for something surely like we know that israel will receive unlimited protection from any accountability and even if if it if it's if it's found to have committed genocide, there will obviously still be people that defend it and say no, that's not right, and this is you know some some major conspiracy. But I I I, I surely I I can't imagine the world in which they don't conclude that it's a genocide just because, like I said, the evidence is so so vast and they've captured it quite well. And there's different elements of it. There's kind of starvation, the displacement, demolition of neighborhoods, entire communities, mass murders, there's hospitals, journalists, medics. I mean, it's... Well, destruction of cultural sites as well and... Exactly, uh, agriculture, farming, you know, 
systems for like you know the water and, and all the rest of it. And it's like sure, like you are literally making life in Gaza un uninhabitable. You're making a place in which, as they promised, where no human can exist. Using the direct words, so I I, I I'll be I'll be surprised um, if 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 not. But like I said, it's maybe surprise not the right word because it would actually be quite unsurprising if they if they, <laughs> if they actually scout this. But it would be. Maybe shock is that yeah, I don't know. I just, no, I just no, look, I would be. Yeah, looking at the evidence, I, I just think it's it's as clear cut a case. You don't even need qualified judges. You could you could show eight year old children and say decide like what do, what do you think of based on this evidence? Yeah. So unless there's some some kind of complication, complication inverted commas that is. Yeah. But like I said, I think it would be quite significant. But yeah, the US is involved. Israel's involved. Don't rule anything out. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, and you know the UK is involved at like uh, adjacently. This has been one of the really distressing things, I guess, is even if you'd just covered Israeli spokespeople, you know, you not not what the PR line was, you know, not your own retelling of it. If you'd just published verbatim what, like, the defense minister or the finance minister or, like, the mayor of Jerusalem or et cetera, et cetera, and you'd only published their words, you would have a fairer example of coverage of Gaza than what we currently have. And yeah. that's so damning. Yeah. I like this is why I'm kind of, you know, we're talking about uh platforming of some of the Israeli spokespeople. But as far as the officials go, I'm kind of okay with it because I want them on the record. Like Sipi Hotavelli, like, yeah, absolutely. I mean, just do your job as a journalist a little bit better, right? Like if I want her, I want her on camera. Um, exactly. She's been one of the worst people for Israeli PR. Mark Regev. Somebody, well. sorry, yeah, sorry, sorry to interject. Somebody actually made the point that what's rather ironic is that all the others do it in Hebrew. Yeah. She does it in English. In other yeah. words, there's no, it can't get lost in translation. She said, she expresses these, these tendencies and it's there in plain English on, on that British television. It's like, again, it's, it's self awareness. Is that the right word? I don't know what the right word is. Like, they've got advisors who I'm sure paid handsomely. Like this is it's so clear and it's been documented and it's it's, it's everywhere. That, like I said, that is almost a good thing, in a way. Yeah, and like yeah, it is. It's just so clear now. Well, it has been right from right from the beginning. But yeah, as you say, like a lot of the other stuff, you had to go to Israeli media. You've had to go and find translations from like sources that you trust, etc. Yeah, what a nightmare. But thank you for joining us to talk about it. I uh, really appreciate uh, having Pleasure. you come. That's on. been good. It's been good. Where do you see the UK going on this in the next uh, couple of weeks? I think, that, unfortunately, the, the only way to, and a lot of people on the left have basically come around to this as well, or rather they've known this, is when the US changes its mind, the UK will change its mind. And that's it's, a, it's the only way to look at UK foreign policy and look at the kind of the way the wind blows. Once the US decide the language that's going to be used, whether it's a ceasefire or anything else, or decides that Israel can no longer be backed unconditionally, the UK will, within half an hour, hold a press conference which is to enact case time or immediately have a flash in the, the times because it's you know it's really important to reach out to the, the readers of the times as a as a as a leader of the opposition and i think the momentum at the grassroots level will continue i think that will be many people said you know the gap between the last protest and the next is quite big but i think that will just be galvanizing if anything mm -hmm. and we're seeing the organizing at the political level at different levels you've seen the boycotts the sit-ins yeah um the Elbit Arms uh, factory that continues to be, yeah. you know, they can continue to shut that down. So I have no worries about the the grassroots organising and and we do have a good enough voice in terms of here in journalists and writers and columnists and all the rest of it who are making their voices heard, even bypassing those mainstream channels um, and reaching out to people, which is good. So yeah, I think unfortunately maybe the pressure won't tell instantly, but eventually it will alongside the US's shift, which will. From a purely objective point of view, once the US shifts, the UK will shift, irrespective yeah. of how much pressure we have at the grassroots level and what we're doing. Once Biden decides, okay, this I'm, I'm pulling the plug, case number, which is soon, I will pull the plug as well. And that's it's the yeah. way the world works. How sad. Uh, exactly. <laughs> Always good to end on a happy note. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For our audience, uh, where can they find your work? Um, so I publish all my work on Twitter. So the quickest it would be Twitter, Hamza underscore A96. Um, and mainly now in Declassified, but still publishing in Tribune, Novara Media, Dazed, and a few of the others. But yeah, mainly Declassified at the minute. And all of my work is from any media I do, any podcast, anything is always available on my Twitter as well. Um, I haven't got a website yet, clearly not 
professional enough. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's mainly where you can. That's basically my website now, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For for many of us, eh? Hey, thank you so yeah. much again. Um, and Pleasure. thanks for listening, Pleasure. everyone. Uh, if you've enjoyed this, share it. Uh, go find Hans's work uh, on his Twitter. Uh, uh, let people know that there are alternative voices out there, um, that there are alternative media ecosystems that are actually covering this stuff, um, and they're more and more easily accessible as well. Welcome back to uh, 1-200 in this new year of 2024. We'll catch you next week. If offices are denied, live in a pointless life, but I'm learning all your lessons. Fucking politics is no distinction. Amongst the people every day In this vindictive, forgetful fucking rain It feels like we're on the road to hell